On this episode of Geek Out Loud, it's all Rogue One all the time. But first, your emails, of course. And we'll probably plug some things. We got a new Facebook group for the entire Goliverse. And what a Christmas week it is. everyone and welcome to geek out loud my name is steve glosson so glad to be along with you on your safe place to geek out and i am man riding a rogue one wave of fun and excitement and enjoyment of a movie i need to go ahead and tell you that within the next hour and a half or so this movie will be spoiled so spoiler alert right up front i'm i'm not going to censor myself from spoilers so if you haven't seen it and you want to see it uh, and you don't want to have have it be spoiled for you, um, don't watch, don't listen to this, don't listen to this, uh, this, 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 this podcast. Don't listen and don't watch the opening crawl of Revenge of Revenge of the Sith. You can watch the opening crawl of Revenge of the Sith. Don't watch the opening crawl of the original Star Wars because it's spoiled there. Um but we'll get there. We'll get there. But before we do, we need to do what we do every episode and honor this week's featured supporter. This episode's featured supporter is Taylor Brown. Taylor has a the ability to change his size. He can grow larger or shrink down to subatomic size. Along with that, Taylor has discovered he can... I'll have... Christmas. Sorry. <clears throat> Let's do that. Let's do a take two on that. Let me. Here's the word I'm struggling with. Manipulate. Everyone. One. Go. Say it with me. Manipulate. Manipulate. All right. Our featured supporter is Taylor Brown. Taylor has the ability to change his size. He can grow larger or shrink down to a subatomic size. That's I, the reason that's there is to give you kind of the the definition, the parameters of his shrinking slash growing ability. We, we don't want you to think that, you know, that he goes from like a 610 to a 35. It, it's a, it's, it's super nice. It's, it's more powerful than that. It's, it's Adam giant man, Ant-Man giant man kind of stuff. Um, along with the shrinking and the growing, Taylor has discovered that he can manipulate time as well so that he can slow things down or stop them all together. If he needs to go backwards in time, he does. Forwards, you got it. He walks between time and Adam. So he masters, in a way, time and space. He's Taylor. Ladies and gentlemen, Taylor Brown, our featured supporter on this episode of Geek Out Loud. And we thank him so much for, for his support at patreon.com slash geekoutloud. You can support uh, the shows, the whole Goliverse, at patreon.com slash geekoutloud. And, uh, man, especially this time of year, uh, we thank you so much for your support because it's a huge deal. And as a bit of a gift to the Mixler Zoo crew and to everyone who joins us live all the time, uh, the commentary that we're going to be doing this month for Return of the Jedi, 
I keep wanting to say revenge. Can I just get something to... Can we... Apparently, I need to talk about Revenge of the Sith. Apparently, I've got Revenge of the Sith on the brain. You know what? I have opportunity to bring it up when we start talking Rogue One. So if I'll just... If I'll calm down and hold on, I'll get there. So, Glosson, calm it down. Calm it down. Calm it down. Take it down a notch. Slowly. Breathe in. Breathe out. In your hand, like cheer it, before he shoots down a TIE fighter. What was that about? Anyhow, we'll get there. We will get there. Um, What was I talking about? Patreon.com slash geekoutloud. Oh, Return of the Jedi. I'm going to do that commentary live this week. It'll probably be sometime in the afternoon. And uh, I meant to do a big honking show today, but as I was perusing the Twitter, there was just a lot of comments about, when are we going to get geek out loud about Rogue One? Listen, we've got a lot of Rogue One commentary and comments coming up. Uh, Let me billboard a few things for you. Yesterday, I had the opportunity to spend the day, not just some time, the day, with Shaz Bazaar. And we went to Expedition Bigfoot up in Cherry Log, Georgia, to the Bigfoot Museum. I had a blast. I had a fantastic time. And when we left the Bigfoot Museum, we uh, we recorded in the car um, about the museum itself, and then we, we spilled over into Rogue One Talk. So expect a Big Honkin' Show slash Geek Out Loud crossover episode or mashup episode uh, to hit your feeds soon with Shaz and I talking Rogue One. Uh, I hope to get all the players of the Goldiverse in on this thing between now and January. You're talking, uh, Teresa's already chomping at the bit to come on and talk some Rogue One. We may let her on before this show is over. Uh, Dave Jones, I know, is a huge sci-fi and Star Wars fan. And uh, so we're going to talk it up with Dave Jones at some point. We're going to talk it up with Eris Chernovice. We got And Eris has some people he's bringing in. We're going to talk it up with whoever wants to talk it up. My, I, I haven't talked to him yet, but I hope to get Scott Rifen on the show at some point. I hope to um, get uh, get uh, anyone that's involved in the Gulliverse. I'm sure Kristen from Rock Out Loud has seen it and ready to talk it. Rod, bald-headed Rod. I'm ready to talk with Rod. I'm ready to talk, uh, to talk some Rogue One with Rod. So hopefully uh, what you'll see is all the players of the Gulliverse at some point or another um, – to to we'll, we'll we'll be on the shows and we'll be talking up some Rogue One because I am if you remember this time last year December twentieth two thousand fifteen I was still struggling and being accused of being a Star Wars hater I was I was accused of um, not loving Star Wars the way I'm supposed to love Star Wars because it took me a minute to. By a minute, I mean almost a month to really process and appreciate The Force Awakens. It was the sixth time I was watching The Force Awakens. I was sitting in a theater, and as I'm watching it, unbidden into my mind came this thought, I like this movie. And from that point on, I was able just to kind of let go. Still not a fan of that bird at the beginning, a.k.a. his And this is what he is called. And shame on you, Lucasfilm, for not coming up with something better. Shame on you for acting like Kenner circa 1977. Well, you know what? No. If you'd been acting... Mm, mm, mm. I don't know. 
I'm sorry. I'm sorry, Kenner, circa 1977-78. I apologize for using you in a way to criticize the name of this bird that I hate in The Force Awakens because though you may have come up with a similar name, I don't know that you would have stuck with it. The Stillpecker is what I'm talking about. That bird that looks like a reject from the Tiki Room. Anyway, I love The Force Awakens. I've come around on it. It's not my favorite Star Wars movie, but I definitely accept it to be a Star Wars movie. When I walked out of The Force Awakens the first time, and, and Teresa and, and Riley and Bethany from the Star Wars Report and Mama Lowe uh, and Greg can tell you that when I would ask people, when people would ask me, when they were asking me immediately afterwards, what did you think? And I'm like, well, did you like it? And they're like, yes. And I'm like, I'm glad you liked it. And I'm glad everyone loved it. And I was. I was glad that Star Wars, for the moment, wasn't being trashed and wasn't being ridiculed. But for me, something was off. With Rogue One, and, and I wanted to watch it again to try to process and try to figure it all out. When Rogue One was finished, and I was uh, was watching, and, and, I, and, I just, and I wanted to go watch it again. I didn't want to go watch it again to process I want to go watch it again because I enjoyed it so much and I couldn't wait to get back in the theater. There, we'll, And I'll get into that as we get into this, this episode because I've really, really jumped ahead of the game and I don't know where I'm going. <laughs> I don't know where I'm going, but I sure know where I've been. Hanging on the promises of the hope of a rebellion. And I've made up my mind. Boom. I ain't wasting no more time. Here I rogue again. Yeah. Here I rogue again. Let's jump in. Have I got anything else? Oh, let me. So I'm billboarding for you. Shaz and Steve talking Bigfoot Museum in Rogue One. I also want to billboard other members of the Goldiverse coming in to discuss this thing um before it's all said and done what i'd really like to do is a call-in show strictly about rogue one because i i love star wars and i like to celebrate star wars and and then we'll move forward and and uh you know before long we should be getting an episode eight teaser and title hopefully and uh you know and then we'll move into that situation but there are the toys that i've not really talked with anyone about these rogue one toys and and it's time it's time to start really jumping into everything about this i i'm i'm in with both feet so that's what i'm billboarding and now an announcement real quickly some of you already know about this uh there has been a goliverse facebook group set up now this is different from a page and everyone has apparently gone to groups and uh my social media guru in life Teresa Delgado uh told me we needed to do this it's called the Guardians of the Goliverse you can locate it by going to geekoutonline.com/group geekoutonline.com/group it'll take you it is a closed group uh we're very snobby in the Goliverse <laughs> but we will um well, so just request to be added, and uh, and of course we'll add you, and and let you be a part of it. And uh, we're hoping that it is a safe place to geek out about whatever you want to geek out about when you're there, and uh, and and start to build a little community and get to know each other, and that sort of thing. So uh, geekoutonline.com/group 
and uh, and we will uh, we'll be having it rocking, rocking and a rolling down to the beach. We'll be strolling. Derek turned me on to this last week, and I have not been able to stop. Stop it now! <laughs> Alright, let's jump into some emails. What do you say? What did I just do wrong? My Atlanta. forget we've had a lot go on since uh since before rogue one and and there's still a lot to discuss about things that have gone on for example joseph has emailed in kratos joe as we know and love him a long time goal listener says hi steve's been a while since i emailed you loved the rocky episode i too was a huge fan of the movies my grandfather was a pro boxer in the 1930s and he got my dad into the sport, so we watched it a ton growing up. For me, the movies were incredibly inspirational from an athlete's perspective. I wasn't an athletic kid growing up, and when I got to high school, I joined the wrestling team. It was the hardest thing I ever did, and as I got better and I trained for success, I would use the music from the movies as motivation. I ran to the Rocky soundtrack every day, not just because the music was great, but because it represented the athletic journey that Rocky took. I wanted to watch. I wanted to match the heart and determination he had in the movies. On another note... I was listening to the episode in the car, and I had a thought. What paved the way for the Rocky Balboa movie? It was George Foreman's amazing comeback as an older athlete. That comeback story had to have planted the seed for that movie. IMDb seems to agree as I found this. The film was partially inspired by the George Foreman-Michael Moorer fight in 1994. Foreman had formally retired from boxing in 1977, but in 1987, the 38-year-old had decided to make a comeback. This comeback culminated in 1994 when the, by then, 45-year-old foreman challenged the 26-year-old world heavyweight champion Michael Moorer. The fight took place on November 5th in Las Vegas. For nine rounds, Moorer toyed with Foreman, easily outboxing him. Entering the 10th round, Foreman was trailing on all scorecards. However, in the 10th round, completely out of nowhere, Foreman landed a vicious shot to Moorer's chin, knocking the younger man out to score a TKO victory, becoming the oldest world heavyweight champion in history. Keep up the great work. That's from Kratos Joe. George Foreman is on this commercial right now. This has nothing to do. I, Joe, I really loved talking Rocky as well. As I've said a bazillion times, if there's no Star Wars, Rocky is my Star Wars. Um, and I did not know this about George Foreman because I've never followed boxing outside of the Rocky universe. But George Foreman is on this commercial now about invent help. And he's like... People come to me all the time and they say, George, how can I get my invention out there? Why are people coming to George Foreman asking him that question? Of all the things to talk to George Foreman about, how about George? Why'd you name all your kids George? Uh, it's, it seems self-explanatory, but how do you differentiate between all your kids named George? When you call a George, do they all just come? Um, how about, hey, George, 
talk, let, let's talk about 1994 and being the oldest world heavyweight champion in history. Hey, George, what do you think of the Rocky movies? At what, who thinks, hey, George, how do I get my invention out there? Is this because of the George Foreman grill? Do you really think that George Foreman invented that grill? Do people really believe that? Because I don't, I don't think he did. I, I truly believe that George Foreman um, actually uh, just put his name on a on a product that he that he uh, that he liked and trusted. So I just find that humorous. I, I love that commercial because he's like people asking me all the time, George, how can I get my invention out there? And I tell them, go to the good folks at Invent Help. I bet he does, now that they pay him to. Carrie Brown, his email, he says, Hey, Steve, I've been listening to your show for several months now. I believe I was introduced to you via the Wampa's Lair podcast. Thanks, Wampa's Lair. That'd be Carl and, and Jason over there. Thank you guys for introducing me to other listeners. And I just went down the rabbit hole from there. I really enjoy your embrace of geekdom, and it's encouraged me to do the same. Your positive and accepting attitude is a relief and a great alternative to how divided our world has become. Let me tell you something, Carrie. Until you hang out with me in real life, you don't know how positive and unaccepting I am. Ask people like Scott Rifen. Ask people like, uh, well, ask Teresa. Teresa tends to think that I'm really mean in real life. But that's not, that's really not how I feel. I feel like I'm super nice. Um, anyhow, I thank you. I, I just wanted, I was tired uh, way back in the day. And by back in the day, I mean like eight years ago, nine years ago at this point, of seeing people online trash the things that I really enjoyed and loved. And so I wanted to, I knew there had to be people like me out there. I knew there had to be people that would enjoy a fresh, positive spin on things and not consistently bashing everything. Honesty, always, but unintelligent bashing, never. Name-calling, never. No, There's no need to dislike someone because they have a different opinion about a movie or a comic book or a character than you do. And that's always kind of been the thrust of what the Goloverse is about. Let's disagree, but let's in, in disagreeing, let's have some fun discussion about the things that we enjoy. And, and that has, uh, and, and that's worked out, it's worked out pretty well so far. It's been a slow burn, but a burn nonetheless. Uh, he goes on to say, you seem like a joy, guy I'd really enjoy hanging out with. Nope. Uh, you would not enjoy hanging out with me at all. Um, it's clear you spend a great deal of time coming up with quality content to share with your listeners. Quality content? Media. I'm still, you know what? I had... I believe my New Year's resolution, one of them, was to go from mediocre to good. I, mm. You know what? I will accept quality because quality is like luck. luck. You can say, well, you got a lot of luck, and you could mean bad luck or good luck. So quality, this would be low quality or high quality. I will accept quality content. Uh, thanks again from a fellow Southern. That's Carrie. Um, and he's mildly envious of my bromance with Carl. I'm mildly envious of my bromance with Carl. And I miss Carl. Carl. Should get Carl on to talk Rogue One. I bet he is, just has this in-depth. Carl and I will get into the theology of Rogue One, I bet, and have a great, wonderful time. Um, 
simply having a wonderful rogue one time simply having a wonderful rogue one time that's what me and carl would do that's right i just parodied a christmas song my mouse is not working i clicked away and now i need to come back all right that's carrie brown carrie glad to have you on board thank you so much for listening i want to let you guys know about another goloverse member and great listener ben foster you know Ben Foster. He wrote the Geek Out Loud is on, Geek Out Loud is on, Geek Out Loud is on, Geek Out Loud is on. Oh, my Lanta. Geek Out Loud is on, Geek Out. And snip it, snip it, snip it. I wonder if I've got that readily. I, last time I didn't have it readily available. I wonder if I have it readily available now. Anyhow, he's got a Christmas album up. Uh, you can go to benfoster.bandcamp.com. And look for Joe was chasing stars, and uh, and and help a fellow Goloverse member out. Give it a listen, see what you think, and um, and and show some love to to a fellow Goloverse member because he is worthy. He really is. He's a good dude, and um, met him at celebration a couple of years ago, and that was and and he and his wife were just were were fantastic. Fantastic people. Fantastic's not a word that people use enough, I think. Here we go. singing my own song is that like i don't know is that not cool modulate Fantastic is a Hanna-Barbera word. We, I need to do a show. All right, here, I want to schedule it right now. Since they're both in the chat, live in the chat at Mixer.com slash, uh, slash geek out loud. No, slash Mixer.com slash Goldiver. Since they're both here, I feel like Scott would would be, would be bring the, the knowledge to be able to do this. Uh, Scott, we got to get you on. 
and, and Shaz, I'd like to have you on too. To let's talk Hanna Barbera cartoons. Hanna Barbera is was a was a company that was as formative as any company in the life of any child who watched any cartoons back in the day. And and you know, and their characters got relegated to to comedy shtick uh on Adult Swim and Cartoon Network, you know, Birdman and, and Space Ghost and all that stuff with Space Ghost, Coast Coast. And I'm not one to say it wasn't funny. It was, but there was also a lot of good stuff in that old Hanna Barbera stuff. And I absolutely um absolutely loved Hanna Barbera as a kid and 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 want to see I, I, it's something that I've been that's been coming up with me lately as I've been going through some older cartoons and stuff because I, I just Hanna Barbera was great. It was fantastic. So maybe Scott's lost a little bit of his childhood, you know, I don't know. Oh, I'm why am I dogging on Scott Riven? He's the best. I'm not gonna dog on Scott Riven anymore. Look, check him out. Every every morning from seven to ten AM Eastern on WGIG, you can get the iHeartRadio app and look for WGIG out of Brunswick, Georgia and listen to Scott Riven. Straight Talk Live, 7 to 10 a.m. weekdays, every, every day. Anyhow, um, moving right along, emails. That's benfoster.bandcamp.com. Benfoster.bandcamp.com. Andy, let me Google this for you, Lindemann, has um, <laughs> sent an arrangement by Eric Calderon. For not only me, but also Kristen over at the Rock Out Loud. And um, and this is the Force theme, Rogue One Meets Metal. So let's see what this is all about here. Well, that's all the... Andy knows I appreciate good, car, good good guitar work, and that is good guitar work from uh, from this gentleman. And he has several Star Wars things. Eric Calderon. We'll have to see if we can talk to him eventually. Andy, uh, thank you so much for that link. I will probably end up using some of his music. I like I like good rock and Star Wars music. Not like there, there are some people who like 
they put up their YouTube video and they're just trying and they'll miss a note or two and or or, or exclude a whole measure here or there. And it just kind of irks me. But that dude, I liked it. Liked it a lot. Damien. Seasons greetings from Australia and Rogue One reactions. Hi, Steve. Just wanted to shout out. I love your work on the goal. I've been listening for a long time now, and your network is number one go-to stream. Well, thank you so much, Damien. Hopefully, we will hear more from you in the future, as I love the snippet of a daily goal. We are um, a little over halfway to our goal on patreon.com slash geekoutloud of getting a daily goal. I, uh, I really enjoyed doing the Daily Geek Out Louds, and uh, they were fun to prep for, they were fun to do, and it's something that I would really enjoy doing, but it's a matter of time and a matter of uh, being able to know that I can make enough free time to do that on a regular basis, and that's going to require me knowing that I don't necessarily need to uh, tack on a third or fourth job in my life. Just got in from seeing Rogue One. He says, all I have to say is, wow. Won't discuss plot lines here is maybe you read this or read this before you head out. And I did, and I appreciate him not really discussing plot lines. Or maybe not. Or maybe you don't feel the need to read this and go into a sentient machine somewhere. I don't know. No machines, just me. However, I love the movie. My only drawback is I just don't think I can take my kids. The themes are a little too dark for my crew. If they can produce films like this for the next 10 years, I'll be stoked. All the best for the holidays and the new year. And that's from Damien down in australia i believe uh, aus greeting from aus uh, is that australia or is that austria i i i like to believe it's australia damien if you know a guy named neil uh tell him to get in touch with me um anyhow <laughs> uh i'm going to address the dark stuff um as we get into this i because i i tend to agree the themes are a little dark and and um and I would like to, uh, I would like to um, let Derek speak on a situation with a child. He he took his little girl to see it. I will say this: the um, the uh, the music uh, pastor at my church. Uh, his little girl's nine years old, and they went to see Rogue One over the weekend, and she is. She is one of the most, she is funny, she is hilarious, and she's very dry, and she's very, she has mastered the art of sarcasm at a young age, and when it was over, this was her quote when it was over, that was so depressing, I can't wait to watch the next one. (laughs) So, uh, you know, it is... It is interesting that, you know, and, and I and there's some other kids that I know that have seen it that have had similar reactions of just kind of being surprised and like, why are we watching this? What is this about? This isn't Star Wars. So we'll get into that as we get into a discussion of the movie proper. But Damien, so glad to hear from you. Thanks for that. A diversion now from the Star Wars from Lynn. Lynn says, Dear Steve, I've been a listener of Geek Out Loud for many, many moons. I feel we must have shared the same childhood with many of the same interests growing up. When it comes to cartoons from the 80s, I enjoyed many of the same ones you did and still do to this day. Transformers, G.I. Joe, Mask, et al. Uh, when the first G.I. Joe movie came out in 2009, I remember going to the theater to see it with my friend who was probably at least 10 years younger than me. At the time, Transformers Revenge of the Fallen was playing in the same theater. I remember making a comment to my friend that I felt like I should go watch Transformers first because when I was a kid, Transformers came on before G.I. Joe. My friend just looked at me and asked what I meant. After I explained it to him, he told me he didn't realize G.I. Joe was even a cartoon. What? 
Talk about feeling old. I'm right there with you, dude. That's crazy. Who didn't know G.I. Joe's a cartoon? That's not because you're old. That's because that person was sheltered. The other day when you were talking about a shared Hasbro universe, I got very excited. Mask was my favorite, and seeing it brought to the big screen would truly be awesome. In my own headcanon, this has already been done. Let me explain. The other day I was flipping through the channels, and G.I. Joe was on, so of course I stopped and watched some. It was just at the beginning of the chase through Paris. You know the one at the end where the Eiffel Tower either falls down or is disintegrated? <laughs> well, it was disintegrated, therefore it fell down. That's what caused it to fall, is the disintegration of the metal. And I believe that disintegration continued on for a time. Um, anyway, <laughs> I lost my place. Uh, the Black Hummer that the Baroness and Storm Shadow tried to escape in is a vehicle from Mask. It's got a battering ram and a cool gun that pops out of the back. It reminds me a lot of the Black Bronco that was the Venom team, Jackhammer. What do you think? Was Destro helping Miles Mayhem to develop vehicles for his evil organization? Would love to hear your thoughts. Sorry for the long email. Keep up the good work. And that's Lynn from Decatur, Indiana. Well, Lynn, my friend, uh, I love it. I love that. It never crossed my mind until you brought that up. Now, G.I. Joe, The Rise of Cobra is much maligned. I don't think I've watched it since I saw it in theaters. Um... I remember when I watched it, I just I said this. This was my original take on that. If this movie had been made in the mid-late 80s, it would be one of my favorite movies of all time. And I don't mean, like, and they could have even done 80s effects, and it probably would have been one of my favorite movies of all time. If not a favorite movie, then a novelty movie that I like to revisit every now and again, a la Masters of the Universe. And then my second thought was, somebody's watched Star Wars because they had a trench run toward a big spherical base with a sword fight that appeared to look like lightsabers, all this stuff. Um, I, I tend to think that that's a great theory. And it's an easy way to move into a live-action cinematic universe, the mask people, into, into the G.I. Joe Transformers thing. I think Transformers is the natural place to begin to really branch out from all this and I don't know if the last night is going to do that I have my theories based on the different times and eras that we're going to see in Transformers the last night but I I, I know what's been done in the comics has been really cool and the connection of G.I. Joe to Miles Mayhem and Venom and and to the Transformers and to Rom the Space Knight and all that other good stuff has been really, really well done uh, by IDW as as far as I've gotten to read so far. So I would encourage you to check out uh, Revolution uh, by IDW, and and I mean, and you'll love it. I think you'll enjoy seeing all these different characters in there together. Jim Dalsey sent an email and says uh, the the subject line is Rogue One. The body of the text, awesome. Sums it up. Uh, this is from Tim. Tim says, I shall call him Tim. Rogue One reactions, theories, and snippets, snippets. Just got out of Rogue One. Loved it. It certainly put the wars in Star Wars, I'll say that. While I don't have any nitpicks, I do have some observations and questions I'd be interested in hearing your take on. While they're spoilery, I'm sure you either have or are going to have a spoiler-filled discussion on the show. Snippet number one, the guy who announced Krennic's arrival to Vader. Snoke? I'm sure that'll be the new theory, and it's the first Snoke theory I could actually buy. You know what? Let me go ahead and get this out of the way. I don't think it's Snoke. I'll tell you who I think that guy is. His name is Vinay, apparently, 
And I got to tell you straight up, that guy is not in any position of honor. That is punishment. He has to clean Vader's sweaty draws, man. If, if he's got access to Vader in the back-to-bath or the whatever bath Vader was in there, if he's got access to Vader at his most vulnerable, then he's got access to clean the streaky draws. Is all I'm saying about this. And I think that that old man, that old geezer, is the red-headed little boy who was like, it's never going to run uh, back on Tatooine. I think one of the first things that Darth Vader did once they got the Death Star building and everything, and he's standing there on the bridge with the Emperor and Tarkin, he's like, I need to go back to Tatooine for a moment. And he, <laughs> he touched down in Mos Espa, took a couple of people out, you know, and and grabbed that dude and was like, come with me. And from that point on, he was in service. He's like, this shall be your punishment for the rest of your days. Um, yeah, no, that's not Snoke. Uh, snippet number two, Target, I'll admit I thought it looked fake during the first scene, only during that first scene, however... Whatever CGI or black magic it was, it was truly movie magic. It also makes me wonder what it means for the future of filmmaking. While the character was in a few scenes, would it be cost-effective to use this effect in future films, either to bring back characters whose actors have passed or make a character look younger? If this is the case, why not do this for the young Han Solo film? Nothing against the actor they've cast, but I'm sure they'd more than earn back their money if they would do uh, than it would take to do with a full film. Snippet number three, uh, uh, apparently that wasn't Carrie Fisher, Leia, he's referring to. I initially thought they had pulled off some sort of Jeff Bridges and Tron Legacy juju, perfect way to close out the, perfect way to close out the movie, and I'm so glad I wasn't spoiled on her appearance as I was those of Tarkin, Vader, and Bale. Snippet number four, used sparingly but to great effect, he was truly, talking about Vader, he was truly a BA in the closing moments, more so than we've ever seen Vader on film before. I was interested to see them bring in his castle from Legends, though, do you think there's some deep meaning in him in him residing upon a lava planet after what happened on Mustafar? I think I like it, but I'm not sure. Well, to that, it is confirmed that that is Mustafar wherein he is residing, or whereupon he is residing. Um, which leads to a whole other discussion about what we know of Mustafar from not only Episode 3, but the Clone Wars and... Rebels and, and some things that have been said on Rebels. Snippet number five, R2 and 3PO. While it was just a comedic cameo, it was needed. Even though Rogue One was a standalone, it kept the tradition of them being the only characters in every Star Wars film. I'll come back to that. Snippet number six, not a nitpick or even a complaint, but Cassian. If he didn't die from the fall, he certainly should have been paralyzed by the way he fell on that beam. If he was going to die anyway, what was the point of him going to save Jen from Krennic? Why couldn't Jen shoot herself shoot him and then die in the explosion? They're going to die anyway. Why not have Krennic kill her before realizing the Emperor brings out the Death Star? It would be a darker ending to be sure, but it would have been an ironic twist to his story. He dies thinking he stopped the Rebels from obtaining the plans. He dies knowing that Tarkin is aboard the Death Star, firing the weapon because he believes him too incompetent to stop the Rebels, that this apparent victory won't matter because he'll die and Tarkin will be the only one to take credit for it. This is just me being an armchair writer, but the scene of Jen and Cassian on the beach as the explosion reached him, it felt a little pointless. I'll get you there momentarily, sir. I won't get you, but I'll, I'll talk about that is what I mean. While I'll admit they earned it, it only allowed them to revel in their victory for a moment before dying. That's all I've got. May the force and the wars be with you. And that's from Tim. Tim, snippet number six we'll talk about as we get into a deeper discussion. And finally, Drew says they Josh Whedon Star Wars. I know the world loves the movie, and I should. I've been waiting for years for them to make a Star Wars for adult fans, and then they did, and it was funny, and, and. 
Apparently, Drew doesn't know how he feels or doesn't like it. And Daniel says, I'll keep this short. I loved Rogue One. I loved the return of Tarkin. I was floored every time he was on screen. It would have been weird if he hadn't had a role in the film. I've seen the movie twice now after watching the third act for the first time. Um, I think I know what it must have felt like to watch the Battle of Yavin for the first time in 1977, not knowing what was going to happen and who was going to survive. May the Force be with you. That's from our friend Daniel McFadden. So, all right. That's our emails. And we've got to talk some Rogue One. But first... Coming soon to Netflix. One man will hold an entire town hostage. Who is this? To offset. Who is this? His expenses. If you want to support the shows, one of the best ways you can do it is by using Amazon uh, Shop <gasps> at geekoutpodcast.com and geekoutonline.com. I, I don't know what that means. If you want to support the shows directly. I need you to tell me what to do. What should I do? You can do so through Patreon.com. Patreon.com slash GeekOutLoud. P-A-T-R-O-N.com slash GeekOutLoud. No! This fall, clear your cookies. Well, Rogue One has hit theaters and it hit big. I don't have any uh, like stats and details on it. I don't know what kind of box office it did over the weekend. Uh, I have to imagine it was number one. Um, both showings that I went to. Well, I went to a twelve thirty showing. Uh, the second, or actually on on the official opening day, Thursday night, we were at a seven o'clock showing, packed house. Uh, on the next day, however, at 12.30, of course, it was a work day, a Friday. wasn't quite full, but there were a lot of people. And um, so, you know, it, it, I, I'm assuming that it did well, just based on what I saw. As again, haven't done the research to know. So, um, we're getting uh, 155 in the spoil in the spoilers. In the uh, in the Mixler Zoo crews, tell me, one hundred fifty-five million dollars made uh, in opening weekend, and apparently, according to Will, it's the second highest next to The Force Awakens for an opener. So, uh, congratulations! Second highest December opening, we should say, uh, behind The Force Awakens. So, uh, I guess they're happy with it. Um, we'll see how it maintains, especially given the dark tones and given the. Uh, I don't know. I don't like the term dark because I don't know that the tone of this movie was dark as much as the ending of the movie seemed a little dark and had, well, not a little dark, but very dark. Bleak, sad, um, I guess all these things. I guess someone said, well, it's dark, isn't it? Bleak and sad, it's dark. Uh, it. I never felt, to me, dark goes into places where it's like... Um, characters are tortured in their psyche and all this i don't know i'm just it was 
violent, I guess, is probably, you know, one of the more violent Star Wars movies we've seen since, like, Attack of the Clones. Um, a lot of people blowing up, a lot of people dying. A lot of people having that happen to them. We are going to spoil the heck out of this thing. So, uh, just hang, hang tight. Um, now Scott Rifen says in the chat, the cinematography was too dark. I don't know that I agree with that. I never, I didn't feel like the cinematography was dark at all. In fact, I thought it was, that's one of the things I liked is the cinematography to me felt a little brighter than even what I saw with, um, with, uh, with the force awakens, with the exception of the scenes on Jakku, um, after that, everything seemed to kind of darken down. So, um, maybe it was just the color palette there of the final, uh, final act of the movie. I, I DK my BFF Jill. Um, so as we, as I get into this, I think one of the best ways for me to tackle this thing is I've got to start with the characters and characters talking about each character will spill into other points of the plot for me before we get into it though. I think it's worth noting that we are brought to you by several different things. Of course, we mentioned at the top of the show the the Patreon, patreon.com slash geekoutloud, but also uh, a, a way you can help the shows, as, as you heard in the in the in the sponsor in the in the sponsored things spot provided to us by our good friend Daniel and Indy. Um, you can go to Amazon by using links at geekoutonline.com and geekoutpodcast.com. When you use those links, it takes you to Amazon. You do your shopping as usual, and it helps us out. So when you get all your Amazon gift cards and stuff for Christmas, instead of going to amazon.com, use the links at geekoutonline.com and geekoutpodcast.com. And uh, when you purchase from Amazon, it really, truly does help the shows out and I thank you so much for that. And also we have Entertainment Earth Links and Think Geek Links at uh, at geekoutonline.com and geekoutpodcast.com. So if you can use those to do your collecting, do your buy stuff for the geek in your life, if you're the geek in your life, you know, and you love the stuff at Think Geek, use those links and it'll help the shows out in a tremendous way. All right, let's get into this thing. I want to start with Galen Urso and Krennic. Um Galen especially, and and the reason I want to start with these is because if you've read Catalyst, and I encourage you to do so, Catalyst will really shed not a lot of light, but it will add a lot of depth to what's taking place at the very beginning of Rogue One and in the flashback scene uh, when Jen remembers a a moment on Coruscant. It'll add a lot of of understanding and depth to what's going on with Lyra. Uh, to what is happening with Galen and why he would have a place for Jen and supposed to be Lyra go hide. And it would, uh, the fact that Krennic finds him, uh, would you, you would understand why Galen says what he says to Jen. And, and though you do already, but what the, the message that Jen sees, you really understand more because you understand how obsessed Krennic was with getting this job done. Not because he necessarily believed in the project, but because he wanted to further his status in the Empire. That is that is the thing about Krennic, is Krennic is someone who is only concerned about his status in the Empire, much like many other Imperials that, you know, that we've heard about time and time again through novels and that sort of thing, is that Krennic is one of these people who see this is an opportunity to continue on further in power and he's willing to step on whoever he can to do so so much so that when he meets 
Galen there at the beginning of the uh, of the movie, um, you're seeing two friends who were friends. They were basically friends through college meet up again for the first time because Galen has gone into hiding because he found out that his research was being perverted from being um, energy provision to to being weaponized. And, and that it was Krennic that was doing it. And Galen had no intention to... Uh, to to have military um, ramifications with his with his work with his research, and he's also incredibly intelligent, and the only person who could properly finish out the research and do what needed to be done. Uh, so as as we meet them, it's just really interesting to have read the book and to know that backstory and and to have it. And it's and it's really impactful. So when he says Lyra is dead, when he lies to Krennic and says Lyra is dead, um, there is a flash that I think is sincere from Krennic, where he's like, I, you know, I'm so sorry to hear that. I really do think there's a little bit of sincerity there, but I also think that he thinks Galen is lying. I think that he does not trust Galen at all because he has learned that he can't trust Galen because in Catalyst you see that Galen and and Lyra pretty much conspire to get away and get out from under Krennic's grasp. And, of course, it's Saul Guerrero that helps them, and it's Saul Guerrero that uh, would rescue Jen from the uh, from that planet and, and show up to help her out and end up raising her. Galen is forever the unsung. He, he's, it, he, he now walks a line in the history of Star Wars of being a hero but also being, you know... I don't know. He's he's an unfortunate casualty, both both physically because of his death and morally because of the choice he had to make to continue work on this Death Star. Because as he said, they would have built it anyway. They might not have got it done as quick, but because he was able to put the weakness in to it that he did, it gave the rebels the chance that we see them take in a new hope. So Galen is is a really even just a little bit we see him he's a very complex character and, and and very interesting in the Star Wars universe because what he is doing is really could be considered the minutia of the Star Wars universe it was enough that we saw those plans on Geonosis and that we and that even George said you know they had this conversation in clerks about people who were building the Death Star and so I said well you know I'll just show them it's a bunch of evil bugs so they won't worry about people having died uh, when it was uh, when it was built, being built, and it got blown up, um, and that was enough. That was enough to kind of think, okay, well, so so this is how it gets done. Um, but one of the things of you know that in expanding the universe and having things like a Star Wars story, Rogue One and uh, Rebels do, and you see what the Empire is doing to reach out and and get the resources to build this thing, you see you get into the minutia and Galen becomes kind of a, a character that is responsible for some of the most, one of the most minute yet pivotal things about star Wars. And that is that exhaust port, you know, well, who put a hole there that blow the whole thing up. Why did that be in there? Well, because he did. And, and, you know, in general, Dodonna says in star Wars, it's, it's defenses are set up against a large scale assault. No one would think a one-man fighter could be any threat. This was the way Galen was thinking, that they can slip in underneath these large defenses and be able to, if they can, if they can 
make this happen, then the whole system goes down. I don't know if Galen meant for the whole thing to blow up, but he definitely meant for the whole system to go down. Um, and it may just be that it blew up because they were in the process of getting ready to fire. Um, but yeah, I, I really like it. And Krennic is, as I said, he's that ambitious imperial who's only out for his own gain. Incredibly portrayed, I think, by Ben Mendelsohn. And one of the best one of the best acting through being force choked of anyone since Admiral Ozzel. Uh, you know, when, when, when we first see the force choke in Star Wars, you know, it goes to Admiral Monty. Now, Admiral Monty, uh, Richard LeParmentier had that app, Adam's apple that like he could just move up and down on command like a cartoon character. And, and he was stretching. It always looked like because of the placement, I guess his hand on the other side of his face from, from the camera angle, it always looked like he was licking the table as he went to stand up or sit back up after Vader released him. But he makes so many clicks and guttural noises, you know, that that's kind of, you know, then Admiral Ozzel, Lord Vader, the fleet has moved down the lights. We're going to, oh, you know. And with Krennic, it was like he was mid-sentence talking and he, and he had some discomfort. It was... The first time, especially, I'm like, wow, he's taking a long time to get to that force choke. But, but, but you see it build. You see it go from discomfort, he's confused, to a little bit of fear, and he hits his knees, and then Vader turns around with that line, be careful not to choke on your aspirations, director. Someone has said something to me about not liking that comment, but the thing is, is Vader has always been sarcastic that way. Um... Even the line, I find your lack of faith disturbing, is is just kind of like, let me show you what the Force can do, buddy. You know? Uh, apology accepted, Captain Nita. You know, that kind of thing. There, there's still a little bit of Anakin's smart alekiness in him. Um, and and so, yeah, be careful. I, I, I thought it was a perfectly acceptable line from Vader. I, I don't think it was misplaced or, or, or out of place for him to do but Ben Mendelsohn the way that he did that whole choke scene was fantastic I mean and again you found out in some of those press and some of the press conferences they did uh the Q&A sessions and all that you know Ben Mendelsohn was an was a fan of Star Wars and that you know he and Gareth would kind of geek out about stuff and uh and it was just um you know you could see that this is a guy who's been practicing the force choke since he was a kid and I completely uh approve of him 100 percent when they fire the Death Star onto Jeddah and he's looking down over it and he sees what's going on, um, there is true awe in his face and there's true awe in his eyes. And, 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 when, and in a room full of silence where he says, it's beautiful. You know, he is, he is process. I think he's processing everything that is under his thumb at that point. Because in his mind, because now Tarkin will disavow him of his you know illusions of of being in charge of the death star but he uh in that moment you know you can just see everything that he's thinking like it's not just the destruction that's beautiful he's not just aroused by the destruction he is he finds it beautiful that he now is in control of the ultimate power in the universe as far as he knows and and understands 
And that's and that ultimately his ambition, his aspirations, I think, are ultimately some of his downfall. Um, but he's also kind of set up in a way. I, I think they did a good job of making him absolutely unsympathetic and sympathetic at the same time because I think a lot of people from from a few of the discussions I've had, I think a lot of people feel bad for the way that he goes out, you know, that he has destroyed along with um, a large portion of Scarif, uh, it, you know, with when the Death Star fires down on the Citadel, which, by the way, and I've said this in other places, and, and again, you'll hear me, and I, I told Chaz as we were laughing yesterday, I told him, you're going to hear me say this a lot over the next month or so. You're going to hear me say some things and repeat myself again and again and again. The fact that Tarkin would destroy the Citadel is right out of that character's playbook from Star Wars Rebels. When they overtook the communications tower and um, and they were and Ezra was broadcasting his message of hope and rebellion, not just to Lothal, but to all kinds of, you know, out beyond Lothal, uh, Tarkin's like, destroy destroy the communications tower what you know we're going to do that we're going to take this extreme measure to stop this thing and so tarkin took the extreme measure of destroying the citadel and everyone who was down there in an effort to to keep the plans from being transmitted back to the rebels hands which we know he was too late and uh and but that was right out of that was right out of rebels or other moments that were right out of rebels too for example when um when the y-wings use the ion bombs on the one star destroyer and disable it and they realize that it's disabled the the fat uh mon calamari general who's whose name i cannot remember um says uh he he tells them um he says get me a hammerhead cruiser and so that cruiser then pushes the star destroyer into the other star destroyer and they crash and they destroy the shield and everything uh general Raddus, yeah thank you um that's right out of rebels that moment when you realize oh we have this thing that's an upper hand we can do this quick do this you know and people are like i don't know if the physics work if you got no thrusters on dead weight in gravity less space all you've got is the mass, and then you've got something with thrusters that's built to be a, a powerhouse of a, of a cruise ship, of a cruiser like that. Uh, yeah, it's going to be able to dig in and push that thing, get that thing's momentum going in the direction it wants to go. So, uh, and, and again, why do, we, why do we argue with physics in the Star Wars galaxy? It's a different galaxy than ours. The laws of physics do not apply in Star Wars. Everything in service to the story. Everything in service to the story. Is, is how it works in Star Wars. Um, Jen Urso. Jen, our main character. Jen is the is the person that we're rooting for. She's the hero. I don't I guess she's on a hero's journey of sorts in this. Of course she is. Jen is um she kind of becomes the saving grace and the conscience of the rebellion in a way. And and I'll get into that momentarily as I talk about Cassian and the people and some of the things he says later on um, in the movie. But Jen, you know, of course she began, she, I love I love them busting her out of prison on, on the big juggernaut tank from the, from the Clone Wars, by the way. 
I said this on Rebel Force Radio. I made it. I'll be on Rebel Force Radio soon. If I'm, not, it's not. I don't think it's on the Stocking Stuffer episode. I think it'll be out later this week. I'm not sure. They didn't tell me when it would be released. But spoiler alert: I'm, I'm going to be on Rebel Force Radio talking about this. And um, and I said this. I think that amongst uh, the story group at Lucasfilm, there is a subversive uh, plot to never let the prequels be forgotten. To never let the prequels be something that just fades into completely into obscurity. I think that with people like Dave Filoni on that story group, and I even think Kathleen Kennedy as as the head of Lucasfilm understand the importance of episodes one, two, and three, and the Clone Wars cartoon series. I think that that people on the story group understand Pablo Hidalgo. I think they all understand how important that time period is. And I think that by putting little things in like that, the line about clones in episode seven, I think that these, this story group is, is in a way, in, in, a very, in very subtle ways, not allowing anyone to let go of the prequels. Right down to where Vader's castle was on Mustafar and the stuff we've seen on Mustafar, the fact that Captain Rex is in Star Wars Rebels, um, we saw ATTE or an ATTE in Rebels. Um, yeah, I, I just I think that that while there is a an idea that um, I think that while there while the idea is that uh, that that a lot of people think that everyone hates the prequels, I think there are people in the story group who like me love the prequels understand what George Lucas was doing and refuse to let them fade into obscurity as we move forward into this new era of Star Wars that we're in. Um, anyhow, so when Jen gets saved there, when she gets, when they bust her out of prison, number one, it was a great reversal of the opening scene of A New Hope with the door being blown off and it's Rebels coming in, not Star Wars coming in. That one stormtrooper in the back, he's just, he was kind of done. He's like, this is what my life is now, transporting prisoners on this big thing. And so when Jen fights back and she tries to run off and K2 stops her, and I mean just choke slams her tail to the ground. He says, congratulations, you're being rescued. Oh, such a great moment and a great introduction to K2SO. Uh, you know, and, and, his, and his wit and his, the, one of the most, I mean, the, the most sarcastic droid we've ever seen? I, I think so. I, I think it very well he very well could be the most sarcastic droid we've ever seen, and I am a fan of K2SO. Um, in the chat, real quick, and I think this is a fun question to address, um, the fourth Dave said, here's my issue with Jen. She joins the Rebellion really easily, especially considering it was Alliance bombs, Alliance bombs that killed her father. Maybe I missed something, but I didn't. it didn't feel earned to me. What earns her alliance with the Rebels is not... It is in spite of them killing her father is the message that she saw from her father when she was with Saw Gerrera there on Jeddah. She understands and knows the importance that this cause is greater than herself. She did get to see her father before he died. He got to see her. They had a moment, and though she would have rather him lived, of course she would have rathered that. Um, you know, I think that she felt then a connection and an understanding and the importance of, of not 
turning her back on the mission and the goal to destroy the Death Star because it's what her father wanted. I think she goes along and tries to, and let's not forget, it's not that she joins the rebellion, it's that she chooses to to take part in the destruction of the Death Star. She's choosing to take part in undermining the Empire. The rebellion and the council, the rebellion council, wants nothing to do with it. Mon Mothman and company get outvoted. And so it's Jen and a, and a scruffy band of rebels who have to go in against what the Rebel Alliance Council wants them to do and go. So it's not about joining. For her, it's not just that she uh, has joined the rebellion. It's that she is rebelling on her own against the Empire. And the rebellion joins her. They are rogue one because they are going rogue not only against the Empire, they're going rogue against the Rebel Alliance, almost in the vein of uh, Saul Guerrero without the crazy. Now, Saul Guerrero is is someone in this movie who, I mean, I, how do you get there? A life lived on in, in fighting, a life lived in war the way we, the first time we meet Saul Guerrero, he's fighting a war against separatists and separatist occupation, and he's not a fan of the Republic. So this is, this is a man who has lived his life fighting a war. That's all he's known is, is war, 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 and it's, and it's developed within him paranoia and PTSD and all the other things that cause him now. And if you read Catalyst, you see that he found himself in trouble because he trusted some people and that sort of thing, and he, and he got set up. Um, and so when we meet Saul here, he's, he's so far gone, he's so far extreme, it's almost like he'll fight anybody and he'll find a reason not to trust anyone, especially anyone who's been with the Empire. We see what he does to Bodhi. He is a twisted version, if there can be such a thing, of Darth Vader, right down to when he takes out his breathing apparatus and breathes in whatever it is he's breathing in, uh, there are... There are traces of the Vader breathing apparatus there. There's the there's the inhale at the one point and then the exhale at another point when we see it. Um, he's lost legs, you know. I guess he's still got his arms and everything, but you know, there's a there's more to that suit than just being a, a, a costume that he's wearing. It's apparently keeping him alive in some aspects, I believe, and it's caused him to go crazier. And so. Not only has he gone nuts, you know, but when we meet up with Jen, he becomes the father figure for Jen, and he abandoned Jen, we find out, at one point. So there's a strained relationship there because he's crazy and because she feels abandoned by him. And he's like, well, you were a good soldier, you know? And she's like, I, don't, I was 16. I'm not supposed to be a soldier at 16. This is the galaxy into which we step. And maybe, I guess, maybe there is some dark undertones there and some dark themes and that sort of thing. uh, But we also see that this is the life that Leia was leading. Leia was leading a life of a teenager, you know, wrapped and shrouded in uh, secrecy, of course, in the rebellion. But definitely there. And, um, you know, and Jen just being with the extremist who's not going to protect her the way that Bell was protecting Leia, he's putting her on the front lines. He's making her do stuff. He's making her become this tough individual that we meet uh, in Rogue One. So, uh, and, that, and, and Jen, 
you know, she propels the story forward. What's interesting to me is, um, is that she is determined. She is, she is the spark that leads to the victory that we'll see in a new hope. She, she lights that fire. She lights the fuse that ends in the blowing up of the death star. And, and, and thus becomes a very important figure in the Star Wars mythology. Incredibly important in, in the mythology of, of Star Wars. And, um, and I think is, is, I think she was a great character. Uh, I, I feel like we ran the risk when we see her in, in the previews. And I think Shaz and I talk about this. We ran the risk of having one of these just chip on your shoulder, always, you know, going against the grain, always, you know, complaining about everything, um, type, you know, rebellious characters who, you know, turns around to have, you know, have a heart of gold. But what we got was someone who was really passionate about the cause because of her relationship with her father. She's very likable from the get go. She's not, um, she doesn't, she doesn't, the only time we see her hurt herself based on her brash, rebellious attitude is when she, you know, attacks her, her rescuers, you know, when they're busting her out of prison. That's the only time we see her kind of shoot herself in the foot with her attitude. Beyond that, she, uh, she really carries herself well. I guess maybe she almost does there on Edu, but uh, you can't fault her for doing what she did. It wasn't, I'm, I'm going to do things my way. It was, this is my father and I'm going to get to him. And that makes sense. Um, Cassian Andor is one of the more, when we meet Lando Calrissian in the empire strikes back, he struck a deal with the empire to try to save not only his own skin, but his business there, on Cloud City, he's uh, he's trying to the, the argument he could make is that he's trying to help the people of Cloud City, um, but he makes that shady deal with the Empire that that puts our heroes in a world or a galaxy of trouble. With Cassian, we have someone who has, in the same way, compromised to a degree that is, you know, almost bankrupted him morally. When we meet him, we meet him talking to someone who's injured, who's scared to death that the Empire is going to find him, who just wants to get back to Jeddah and, um, and, and be done with this informing type stuff. And because he's going to hinder a getaway, Cassian, I guess that's, that's the way I read it. He's going to hinder a getaway. Cassian just shoots him and, and is done with it. Or maybe Cassian thinks, you know, if he is caught, he's going to give away everything he knows. So he shoots him and he's done with it. Cassian's not happy about this. Cassian is not enjoying the position he's been put in as a rebel spy. And, and we see that all over his face in that moment. So it's not that he takes glee and he's just and he's out to kill at the, at the first sign of trouble. It's that that he's been conditioned now to think that well, there's no other way out but to do this. And his orders are when they track down Galen Urso, of course, is to assassinate, to kill. Galen Erso. The rebels didn't realize how close to operational the Death Star was. I believe that when they found out the information about Galen Erso, they're thinking, 
well, if we kill them, it's going to set back their timetable and then we can try to maybe come in and disrupt it. They're still working from the idea of disrupting and, and being a thorn in the side of the Empire rather than truly engaging them head on. And what happens in Rogue One uh, is, is the mission of the Rebel Alliance changes because the mission of the Rebel Alliance goes from cells of rebels who are intentionally just trying to uh, cause disruptions in everything the Empire is doing and trying to do a slow burn of bringing them down and you know, or, or waiting for their moment to head on engaging the Empire in full-scale civil war. Um, and Cassian, in the lead-up to this as a spy and, and really as an assassin, is now caught... And it is knowing Jen and and seeing her upon seeing the hologram of her father and understanding what's going on with her that causes him to hesitate when he's got Galen Erso in his sights. That rather than um, just callously and cold-bloodedly kill the man, you know, something now is tickling at the back of his mind that this isn't right. This isn't the right way to do things. Cassian is a man who is trying to pull up out of almost a moral nosedive and what's un- and what's unfortunate is he's taken said moral nosedive for all the right reasons he's trying to help bring true freedom to the galaxy and in and in doing so and in aligning himself with this uh rebel yell um he uh, uh rebel yell that's our podcast in this rebellion and aligning himself with this rebellion he it's caused him to do things of which he is not proud and things that he regrets and things that have caused him to become jaded. And, and really in a sense, you know, morally his judgment is skewed and it's knowing Jen and seeing her reaction to her father that causes him to hesitate there on Edu. Um, and because they couldn't get a message out to Edu, here comes the rebellion. And I don't know what that general's name was. It wasn't Adana. Yeah, I don't. I forget what that dude's name was. It's like you got to kill Jenner. You got to kill Galen Erso. You know, he's like send in the, send in the in the in the flight people. Send in the, the the Y wings and the X wings and everything. And they end up bombing the mess out of Edu. Of course, Krennic gets away there, as you know. Uh, this is what causes Galen's death. And um, and yeah, and so it becomes it it, it becomes personal. For Jen, I don't think Jen ever cares about the rebellion as much as she cares about the mission that her father began. And that is that weakness in the Death Star and seeing that weakness exploited. And she knows the rebellion is going to be what helps in that. And and that moment there with her father and the moment of understanding what's going on and having seen the Death Star in action causes her to step up. And I think it's the same thing with Cassian. I think Cassian realizes the game has changed and and everything now is is about coming together to stop the real enemy and and stop the little spy games and and stop the you know stop stop being this person who goes after it and and he's just he becomes this great character and to a point that was made in an email by Tim where he talks about Cassie and not dying from the fall um I don't know how much of that third act was truly because we don't know. 
was truly affected by the reshoots. We know there's a lot from the third act that's not in there based on what we saw in trailers. You get the idea that Cassian was always going to come back from that fall to do the typical hero thing, you know, the in a movie where someone comes in and, and saves someone else at the last minute because we thought that dude was done for, and now here he is helping out. Um, the resolution is not we we transmitted the data tapes. The resolution is not Krennic has been taken out. The resolution is there on the beach. Him looking at Jen saying, your father would be proud of you. You know, and that's what she goes out with is the, is the understanding and the confidence in herself and the, and the, and the knowledge and the acknowledgement from a friend that we did well and we did something greater than ourselves. We did something that matters more than the fact that we're about to die here on this beach. We did everything we could that we took the, the, we took the next chance and the next and the next until we were out of chances and we did everything we could with those opportunities to provide freedom and to and to complete the mission that her father began and um you know she and some of that comes from her dad and other and some of it i think does come from Saul Guerrero her confrontation with the rebel alliance council I think is all about Saul's influence in her life. When they say, when the woman says, what chance do we have? And she's like, no, the question is what choice do we have? You know, it's, it's a, it's an amazing thing. And she stirs Cassian to a level of heroism that even as a rebel, I don't think he's ever known. So, uh, you know, Cassian, a great, uh, again, uh, the, the characters are, are what makes this thing work so well because they're painted so well. Of course, because of Cassian, we get to meet K2SO, who is, um, you know, a lot of people's favorite from this film. And I'm up there. He's he's up there, man. I like K2SO. He is funny. He is, um, he is, he's an asset. He's a true asset to, uh, to the crew. Um, he every time he helps and it's interesting to watch him help and and it's interesting that you know when we see let's take like r2 for example r2 is always eager to help out and do he's almost like an r2 that speaks english uh and and can weld a blaster you know he can wield a blaster like a like no droid we've ever seen uh you know even the battle droids i'll say that even the battle droids he man he when he picks that thing up and shoots he he's gonna he's gonna hit his mark um but there's there's something similar to an r2d2 and in his in the fact that he's always doing what he's asked to do and there's something similar to chopper in that he's always grumbling and complaining about doing what he's asked to do and the difference is chopper doesn't necessarily always do it and r2 sometimes does stuff without being asked or knows more than what he should know and and ends up doing things uh k2 is part of this crew and he does it and i just absolutely loved k2so um Bodhi Rook is interesting. Bodhi Rook was is a character who we're in because of Bodhi Rook, we get to see the poor gullet or whatever that thing's called. Um which is probably one of my bigger nitpicks from this movie was that creature. Um the tentacles look Star Warsy. Like I mean, like I could totally see those tentacles. 
we haven't the, the the lack of George Lucas has given us creatures that don't feel like George Lucas. And by that, I don't mean just the steel pecker, ladies and gentlemen. I mean, I'm talking the Wrath Tars and now this thing, this. And I'm like, what? And, and I kept looking at him like, what is that supposed to be? Are we, is this something new? Are we supposed to know what this is? Is it Boar Gullet or Poor Gullet? Boar Gullet, I guess. I don't know. Um, the, uh, the, the, the truth of this thing, I don't know. I just didn't, I, I had a hard time and it drove Bodhi a little bit crazy so that Bodhi is a little bit off kilter the rest of the movie. And and they do a good job of him not being nuts, but being n- unconfident and unsure at times. And then finally just having to suck it up and do beyond what he thought he may be capable of. And of course he has, what I love that Derek refers to as the Doc Brown moment of, you know, carrying the cable and it getting stuck and, and that sort of thing. And, um, and man, what a sad death, you know, just to look at that grenade come in. And, and when that grenade gets thrown into the ship, it's, it's a moment where you feel like, you know, in any other movie, there'd be a, a jumping out of the ship, you know, and just kind of, you know, getting blown away and from the, from the blast and, and kind of still get, if it were a mission impossible movie, Tom Cruise would have got up and ran out and would have been thrust forward 10 or 15 feet and ended up being okay. Been hurt, but okay. And, and that's kind of what we come to expect from these kind of movies. And I think this is where stuff really started to get turned on its head. Though we, it's the same thing with the death of Han Solo. I think a lot of us saw that death coming. A lot of us felt like when Harrison Ford signed on, he signed on, for the character of Han Solo to die to the, in The Force Awakens. Here, I think we all kind of knew well, all these characters have to die because how else, you know, how do you explain them away in future films? But to actually begin to see it, you know, first with the death of K2SO and then with the other deaths and, and with Bodhi. And, and so there's a lot of things that happen that in any other Star Wars movie would turn out okay. But here they just come to their natural real world conclusion and you know there's no ship to pick someone up and get them away at the very last minute there's no running away from an explosion there's no you know you can only dodge so many blaster bolts that kind of thing um but Bodhi was i think he was used just enough he wasn't used as much as everyone else of course but i think he was used just enough he gets to name you know he gets to throw the name rogue one out there um, he is invaluable along with K2SO in getting them through the shield door uh, when they're going to Scarif and um, and even being left behind on on the shuttle he ends up serving a greater role than just keeping the keeping the engine running basically um, the two favorite characters of mine and I, and I don't know that I'm alone in this become cheered in and Baze Malbus uh talking to the Blanton kids from the Star Wars report and Shaz about this last night um I, I, I don't know that you can have a Baze without cheer it I, I think you can have cheer it without Baze but I don't think you can have Baze without cheer it Baze is they, they are kind of yin and yang but not quite they're almost two sides of the same coin I'm really interested because at one point Chirrut tells Baze, you know, you were once the one of the greatest guardians uh, that we knew. 
And he's saying that in a mean, in a way to to mean that Bayes believed the way that Cheerit believed at some point. Bayes is someone whose faith has been shaken. Bayes is someone who is uh, he's he's agnostic at best when it comes to the Force. And but his friendship with Cheerit is what matters most to him, and he's loyal to Cheerit, even in Cheerit's devotion to the Force, which I guess Bayes feels like betrayed them. What with the destruction of the the Kyber Temple and everything that they were chosen to guard. The Guardian of the Wheels, by the way, which anytime that term wheels has been used in the past for any Star Wars thing, it's always felt, I always feel like we're not going to get a payoff on, on this thing. Like that's the one thing that has been around since the novelization of Star Wars, the Journal of the Wheels, that I don't know that we ever get much payoff. And I think some people thought like the, the, when Yoda goes to those priestesses on in the end of Clone Wars, that, that those are wheels. I'm not sure if those are supposed to be the wheels. Um, but the, the whole idea of the Guardian of the Wheels, is, uh, it, it just captures the Star Wars imagination. And, um, and Bayes, I think, like many people, when they go through something that they don't understand or, or feel like is unjust, uh, it shakes his faith up, and he turns his back on his faith. Meanwhile, Chirrut understands that the Force is going to have its will and have its way. Chirrut is not a Jedi, but Chirrut is our connection to the Force in this movie. This is a movie without Jedi, but it's not a movie without the Force. This is a Star Wars story without Jedi, but not a Star Wars story without the Force. We've yet to see a Star Wars story without the Force playing big time. And knowing what happens in in the moments following this this film, um, I have to believe, based on my own personal theology, that this is the Force at work, and that with um, with Chirrut, uh coming to uh, meet up with Jen and Chirrut and Bay's meeting up with Jen and and being on board this thing that we're seeing the Force work. We're getting to see the mysterious workings of the Force throughout this whole thing. That that you know Obi Wan tells us and Yoda tells us that it binds all living things together. Um, a lot of people got turned off to midichlorians in in the prequels and they or turned off by midichlorians in the prequels. And they miss what Qui-Gon says, that midichlorians reside in all living cells, that it's not just Jedi who have midichlorians, but midichlorians at a higher count cause people to be able to tap into the Force at a greater level. But the Force binds all living things together. These midichlorians reside in all living cells. And so that means that Chirrut is, through his faith in the Force and through his devotion to the Force, I think is in some ways tapping into the force and the force is using if, if Chirrut's not using the force the force is using Chirrut you know when on on the Millennium Falcon when Luke is learning about the force you know he says do you mean it it it, it controls my actions and Obi-Wan says partially but it also obeys your commands and the idea of of obeying your commands is what we've always seen. We've seen people force push and force jump and use lightsabers and 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 levitate things and um, and choke people out and shoot lightning out of their hands. 
What we've never really paid attention to is it controls my actions partially. It can, that's partially what I mean. And I think the force is using cheer it in this moment. The force knows that the, the, the path to balance is through this kid on Tatooine and the force understands if the force is sentient, uh, you know, and and I'm using that term very loosely, the idea of knowing and understanding the force gets that balance is going to be brought about from this kid on Tatooine meeting up with the virgins of the force in the force that was born in the same planet years before. And, and the, and the event that's going to really make things happen is this event coming to fruition. So cheer it becomes a vessel of that cheer. It becomes a part of what's going on. And because of what cheer it does, uh, Bayes has his faith restored and and Baze dies with a faith in the force that he had not known for years. I love those characters. And, and they allow a door to be reopened into a full discussion of the force and what the force is all about, even with the presence of midichlorians. The idea that the Jedi were testing for midichlorians in the prequels does not negate the spiritual aspect of the force. What it does is it points to the reliance on self and science of the Jedi and and part of where they had become blinded to what the force was really all about. Qui-Gon had it right. You trust the living force. And these things that we have are just tools to help us more greatly trust the force. It's not about, it's not about a full understanding of the force and a full uh, control of the force. It's about trusting the force. And, and, these, and these things that we've developed are tools to help us for, further do that. I think this movie is chock full of the force. And I think that we find through a non-Jedi and his influence on the people around him, I think we find uh, that spiritual center of Star Wars that I don't even think was present in The Force Awakens. I don't, I don't, I just don't. I know that we had, uh, you know, Jedi coming back, and I know we see Luke at the end, and and I know we had the cool force back with, with Rey and what she saw when she touched Luke's lightsaber and everything, or Anakin's lightsaber. Anakin's lightsaber would be Luke's lightsaber. Um, I know that we get all that, but here it's, it's just it's done with a much more deft touch so that you feel i think more or I, let me not say you feel i feel like like gareth edwards and company uh had a greater grasp on george lucas's ideas about the force um i i do uh, just to get technical, I feel like Gareth Edwards, as a fan of Star Wars, um, and and uh, and man, I don't want to, I don't want to just put it on Gareth's shoulders, because uh, you could put everything on JJ's shoulders as as the writer and director, one of the writers and directors of the Force Awakens, along with Lawrence Kasdan. Um, 
I feel like, though, that when we get into Rogue One, I think we're dealing with, when you're talking about Chris Wright's, Tony Gilroy uh, has, a, has a screenplay credit there. John Knoll and Gary Whitta. Man, I, and I hate to give Gary Whitta credit based on some of the things he said about the prequels. But I, I think you're dealing with people who, I don't know. They're, I, I think they're more fan, fans in the vein of, um, of, of, my, of my fandom, I think. Um, because I feel like that this is a movie that's closer to a George Lucas Star Wars story than than even what we got with the Force Awakens, and I and I'm not trying to turn, I'm not trying to, uh, you know, dump on one to lift up the other. That's not my intention at all. I, I really, again, because I like the Force Awakens, but in seeing this film, I really come to the point where I feel like that that the filmmakers had a little bit better, better Lucasian grasp on, on star Wars than maybe cast. And even, and even though Lawrence Kasdan had his hand in empire, um, you know, I, I just, maybe it's the story group kind of came together and, and figured it has figured it out a little more. And, and maybe we'll see this as time rolls on. We're going to see things more and more. What I'm really, I tell you what, I can't get over wanting to see the original cut um, before the, not not before the reshoots, but kind of the original ideas. You know, there's, because of the trailers and because of a lot of things we saw in the trailers, we're, we're highly aware of uh, moments that were either refilmed or cut or done in a different way or we got a different take or we, you know, there were moments or little lines here and there taken out, you know. For example, just Krennic talking to Vader, the power we're dealing with here is, and he never does that. He never gets that way with Vader there on Mustafar. Let's talk about Vader real quick. Um, everyone likes to talk about the last few minutes with Vader, and, and rightfully so. It was a, it was a Vader like we've never really seen Vader be uh, in the armor, which you know causes some nitpicky concerns for then why didn't he just completely destroy old man Ben there on the Death Star? And we can get into some in-universe explanations and everything for that, but let's just take Vader for what he is in this movie. Really cool to see, not going to deny that. What was the most cool to me was not his thrashing of those rebel soldiers there at the very end. What was cool was to be on Mustafar in a castle, um, seeing Vader in, in one of his most vulnerable states, seeing Vader and, and wondering what it means that he's living on Mustafar. Really, the, the, not the birthplace necessarily of Vader, but the place where his whole world drastically changed. Um, it's because of his encounter on Mustafar that he's confined to that suit. It's on Mustafar where he thinks he killed his wife. It's there that you would think that Vader would avoid at all cost, but maybe because of his dark side proclivities, he is he's means to lean into the pain and the anger and all that good stuff. But I think it's also been said in, in maybe some visual guides and that sort of thing that the Emperor has kind of told Vader that's where he's gonna stay. And that to me is a is a play by the Emperor right out of the playbook we know of the Emperor. That he's going to keep some type of mental control and play these mental gymnastic games with Vader continuously that we're never necessarily going to see the emperor let up on vader 
that the more crap the Emperor can give Vader, the better as far as the Emperor is concerned because he wants Vader exclusively and completely, not only under his thumb as an apprentice uh, Sith Lord until he's ready to dispose of him, but a large part of why Anakin turns, the choices he makes, comes from the psychological control that Palpatine has over him. And I think this is just another another peg in that whole situation, another brick in that wall. Um, and, and, uh, and, and I just, I think there's tons of discussions to be had about why Mustafar. And we know from Rebels that Mustafar is where Jedi go to and never come back from. And um, are the Inquisitors, is that where their base of operations is? And that's why Vader's there. All kinds of discussions to be had. But that was probably more my favorite Vader moment than when we see him slicing through people and choking people out. And, you know, it was B.A., don't get me wrong. It was B.A., but uh, maybe a little too intense. But I'm not against it by any stretch of the imagination. My real, my only real nitpicks are... Um, my only real nitpicks are... Uh, from a couple of cameos. One being uh, Walrus Man and Amazon. I don't think we needed that, uh, especially not the exact same line. You just watch yourself. I, I don't, eh, you know, I'm not a, not a, big, not a big proponent of that. I, I thought it was a little misplaced and, and no point in, in being there. Um, the R2 and 3PO cameo. I'm fine with it. I was okay with it. I don't know that we needed a line from 3PO. And if we were going to have one, I think we needed a different one. I did not like the, what do you mean? Scarif, no one tells us anything. You know, I, I didn't like that line. Um, I would have rather him said something like, well, R2, here we go again. You know, maybe something like that where it's like, you know, a little more subtle and, it, it just wasn't funny to me and just seeing them, you know, or come on to, we must be going. If he would have just said something like that and not tried to be, had it not been tried to be played for comic relief, but rather, Oh, they're there too. You know, I think it would have worked out a little bit better, uh, for me, uh, for my taste, not against seeing them there. Uh, I just didn't like the line. I thought the line was a little, Little rough. I tell you what line I did like. I like when K2 was about to say, I've got a bad feeling about this, and they cut him off. It's that thing that I always forget about. It's the thing that I always forget is in every Star Wars movie, I've got a bad feeling about this. And, man, I didn't know I was going to miss it in this until K2 said it, and I just kind of got really happy about it. Uh, other Easter eggs that I absolutely love, and I don't know that Red and Gold Leader are necessarily Easter eggs, so I'll talk about them real quick. I thought it was a very clever use of uh, camera angles and shots we haven't seen before, a very good use, clever use of the idea that, um, especially with Gold Leader, you know, when he's like, the target is marked, in the, or he's like, this is Gold Leader making our attack run on, and he goes on the shield, so that it would be a different line than what we hear in A New Hope. And... If it's the same guy doing it, I don't know if he's still alive or if they got a mimic, but to be able to do that half of the line over the radio, which is established in Star Wars, is a little squawky, you know, has a little bit more, you know, distortion to it. Uh, so you can you can cover up a mimic, or if it's the same guy, you can cover up the fact that his voice is a little bit older. Um, 
the it was clever to use you know dialogue that was never used by red leader uh of red five why are you going where are you at come back and form up with us red five you know whatever the line was and we see porkin's nephew is actually red five he was a fat dude guys let's be honest it was a chunky dude there in the x-wing in the thing um i dug that i thought it was cool i thought it was great connectivity that i never would have imagined would have been in this movie never even crossed my mind through all the trailers and everything and i think to me um I think those are my favorite cameo moments. I think those are my favorite original trilogy moments with seeing Red and Gold Leader. I really do. I think it's the thing that surprised me the most and excited me the most uh, of the movie. Um, the Ghost I saw three times. There's one point where it's on Yavin, parked on Yavin, which I thought was just incredibly cool. Uh, the Ghost parked on Yavin. It's the first time they're leaving on, in the Ewing when they're getting when they're headed out to the Ewing. There's an overhead establishing shot. And I believe it's kind of to the right and up. You can see the ghost clearly parked on Yavin. And then, of course, as they're flying into battle, and there's a moment where it just goes across basically the windshield of uh, of, of General. Oh my gosh, I forgot his name again. Anyhow, the fat, uh, the fat, the short, fat Mon Calamari um, Radis, General Radis. When it goes, you can see it go past the ship. Great to see. I was hoping we'd maybe get a Phoenix Squadron standing by or. You know, Phoenix Squadron reporting in kind of thing. I was really hoping we'd get that, but you know what? We didn't, and it's fine. It didn't take it. It didn't take me. It didn't disappoint me too much. Uh, I was told to look for Chopper uh, during my second viewing, and I was told where it happens. And sure enough, there he is uh, talking to Shaz. He said he heard Chopper, but didn't see him, and I didn't hear him. So I got to go back and listen for him. Uh, it's in the moment when the messenger dude is running out to Mon Mothma to let her know what's going on on Scarif. Look to the left of the screen, and and you'll see, uh, as he gets outside, you'll see Chopper going by. It's very blinking, you miss it, but it's really, really cool um, with what's going on. The only other thing I have that's a nitpick, and it's not really a nitpick, it's, it's more or less... Uh, <laughs> they had to figure out... Um, uh, so they had to figure they had to figure out a different I think they should have figured out a different way to handle things. Vader watches the Tanif Ford disembark and jump to hyperspace. And uh <laughs> he um and so of course he pursues them across the galaxy, as we're told in the uh in the opening crawl of a new hope. <clears throat> and when he gets on board, um Captain Antilles is this is a consular ship. We're on a diplomatic mission, you know. And Vader should have looked at him and been like, I saw you leave the battle. And then Vader's like, This is a dip we're on a diplomatic mission to Alderaan. He's like, You weren't on many mercy mission this time. Several transmissions were beamed to this ship from rebel spies. I want to know what happens. If I don't know what you're talking about. This is the consular ship. We're on a diplomatic mission to Alderaan. You are part of the rebel. It's almost like he's saying there, like, Oh, no, I'm not putting up with these lies. It's like he knows, and he's just wanting someone to say, yeah, you're right, we got the plans, and they're gone now. You'll never get your hands on them, you know. And she just, They're all just keeping up the ruse, dying for the lie. But uh, And it's just kind of funny to think of Vader like, oh, if I ever have a daughter, make sure she's not a liar like that one, right? You know, am I right? Am I right? That's my Darth Vader. So I don't know what's happened. Hold on, let me see. Darth Vader breathing, Darth Vader. No, I can't do it. Yeah. <laughs> I saw you leave. Do not lie to me. I saw you leave. I know your tricks. 
Anyway, I say all that to say, really enjoyed this movie. If I have one fear and concern about this movie, it, it's apparently been really well received by fans. I am concerned that the studio, you know, Lucasfilm will start to think that dark is the way to go when Star Wars is all about hope. Now, this this episode ends with hope, you know, it, literally with the word in, um, or this movie ends with hope, literally, literally the word. But and but every other Star Wars movie ends with hope. You know, the Phantom Menace ends in that celebration, and there's peace there, and there's hope for the future for Naboo. Even Attack of the Clones ends with the the hope that may be found in love for Anakin and Padme. Revenge of the Sith, though it is it is tragic and it is dark, and there's a lot of bad stuff that goes down. We end with hope in Luke and Leia, you know, those babies on Alderaan and uh, in Tatooine. We, we end with that hope. Uh, a New Hope is ends, you know, in the celebration of the hope that we can now beat the Empire. In, Empire Strikes Back, as, as dark as it is, ends with our heroes having escaped and looking to a bright future. There is hope that, uh, you know, we're going to find Han, we're going to rescue him. Uh, there's hope that this will work out. And, of course, Return of the Jedi and, you know, with the celebration of, of that hope coming to fruition, the Force Awakens, you know, there is there is the hope. There is the hope of the galaxy, Luke Skywalker, and Rey has found him. And, and though things are bleak and though things are dark, uh, the Republic has been decimated because of the First Order. Um, there's hope that we can come back and, and, and overthrow this now and, and move into a lighter age. Uh, I really do hope, though, that as as we move forward, that that the studio doesn't think darkness is the way to fly, that darkness is the way to go. Um, I I am excited about the future of Star Wars. I'm excited about the future of these standalone films. Of course, we have the Han Solo one coming down the pipe and. I guess Boba Fett is the third one, maybe. I don't... Has that been confirmed for show? Uh, I feel like the the Han Solo Boba Fett movies are the same things. Um, I, I, and, and I hope that Han Solo, the Han Solo movie is fun. I don't think the Han Solo movie needs to be... Because it's going to be a young Han Solo. I think it needs to be Han Solo getting into one scrape after another. I think it just needs to be an adventure of a roguish scoundrel making his way in the universe the best way he can, um, you know. And 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 I hope we have. I hope because you, you're talking about Lando being in this thing uh, as portrayed uh, by uh, not John Glover, not Donald Glover. Is it Donald Glover? Which Glover is playing? Which Glover is playing Lando Calrissian? Which 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 Glover which Glover's play? Donald Glover, thank you. Um, and so I don't I don't think that it has to be super serious or dark or um, I I think that I think that it it could be <laughs> it could be the Roadhouse of uh, <laughs> of Star Wars movies Roadhouse. I, <laughs> gonna be the road that's it Han Solo is gonna be the roadhouse of um of uh of of uh of the Star Wars universe I think based on who's writing it and directing it and everything I think the Han Solo movie is gonna be a lot of fun 
And I is and I guess I go back to the question is Han Solo is that movie is is Boba Fett confirmed? Is that confirmed as a third? I don't know if they've actually confirmed a third one. Um so I don't know. Uh the the thing is is Star Wars has to have the fun and this one did have fun in it. I could definitely feel the edits here and there. And um you know, it did feel it did get to feel a, 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 a titch choppy here and there, but uh, but overall, I was I, I just came away really, really enjoyed it, and um, and I and and I can't wait to be able to go back and see it again. It's gonna it's holding it's gonna do a great job of holding me over for things like Spider Man and Guardians of the Galaxy two and Thor Ragnarok and episode eight. Um, as much as I want to know the episode eight title and get it and get a teaser and everything, um, I'm willing to wait and spend some more time with this movie. Haven't even talked about the toys and man, we are so short on time. Very, very short on time. I will, um, I, I will see if, uh, she's on because I did kind of billboard her at the beginning. If Teresa is able to come on and, and share some thoughts briefly, because I'm interested to get her thoughts, particularly on Jen or so. Um, we've had two movies in a row now where the, uh, where the heroes have been, um, our, our main characters have been female characters and there hasn't been the, the underpinnings of a romantic plot line and and i think that's a little bit refreshing and fun hello teresa hello how's it going hello How, can you not hear me teresa hello oh my lanta i know what happened hold on teresa mute yourself hello not that you hello? can hear me hello hello, hello. stop saying hello stop saying hello hold on i should just hang up i'm just going to hang up and call back Man, why does this, why does this always happen to me when I'm trying to do things on the radio? Not the radio, but the internet. It's the internet and it ticks me off. Yeah. All right. Can you hear me now? I think we're good now. Great. That was my fault. Uh, My sound card updated its settings and it screwed everything uh, everyone could hear you, but we, but you could not hear us. Where are you at? Out and about in Austin, Texas? I am Christmas shopping for Greg. It's beginning to look a lot like Christmas. Everywhere you go. Um, Teresa, I'm interested in your thoughts, particularly on Jen or so. Oh, I thought you might ask me that. <laughs> <laughs> well... Interestingly enough, she was not my favorite part of the movie. Of course, sure. She was, she's a good character. Mm-hmm. I mean, I feel like she... I don't know. I feel like she didn't get fleshed out enough. Right. Or like maybe I was expecting more. I'm not really sure. It just... You were talking earlier about her being a part of the rebellion, and I think all of that made sense. Like, she wasn't really a part of the rebellion. She was trying to do what she knew needed to do. not really care about, like, being an official part of the rebellion. Tracy, you're really, you're really she, breaking up bad. Are you in a store somewhere that has no good service? Uh, how is that? 
That's a little bit better. Okay. They have Wi-Fi here. I'm going to get on their Wi-Fi. Oh, okay. Hang on a second. <laughs> All right. Well, Teresa now going to be getting on the guest Wi-Fi at a, at a Christmas shopping place. So... Um, you're going to have to re-repeat what you were saying because it got really choppy. And um, I, so she, you were saying that you agree she wasn't really part of the rebellion. Right. Can mm -hmm. you hear me better now? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Uh, I don't think she cared about being part of the rebellion. That wasn't important to her at all. I think she just knew what needed to be done for the Death Star. And she cared about that. Right. Well, what what is intriguing to me about not only Jen, but also Ray is we've had these two female heroines and there hasn't been the underpinnings of a love interest necessarily. Right. Like, the, And I don't think that scene at the end, I don't think any of that was like a love interest. I mm -mm. think that was like, that was for the shippers for sure. <laughs> the shippers are going to take that all over the place. I think that was more of like a you know goodbye to humanity look in their eyes and mm -hmm. like a goodbye to life yeah yeah and <laughs> it was i like and i also think i also think that it's just two you know soldiers in arms who are yeah. who are sharing their last moment together you know and uh and yeah i don't i don't think there was necessarily a love interest there maybe it could have come to that down the road but i don't think it was the uh the 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 intention at all and and i and i think that's refreshing i think it's refreshing to not have to to deal with that necessarily so who was your favorite character can i guess go ahead try i'm gonna guess either uh k2 uh-huh or or cheer it cheer it yes yep fantastic what Okay, and you know why? It's it's the whole force bit. I think you know that about me, that I really love that sort of in-depth, very, like, I don't want to say the theological side of it, but maybe that's part of it, but that deeper force stuff with Star Wars, I love it on both sides, light and dark. Like, the, I love getting into the minutia of that. The spiritual aspect of it. Yes. Mm -hmm. Like, I love that. Yeah. And uh, he was that for me. Although I have written a better ending for him in my head. <laughs> so, Does the cane turn into a lightsaber? No. Does he move the switch with the force? No. Okay. I think it would have been really interesting when he died because he was he believed so much in the force and because he he like just lived and breathed the force if he if the force at the end of his life had said you know what you embody us and we will accept you and if he had gotten mm. a chance to disappear into the force oh, like wow, Yoda yeah, yeah like that would have been a powerful moment especially for Baze to see that the force does exist and to re-energize his belief in the force you know to see the force accept Chirrut as one of their own like that would have been so amazing <laughs> but I think what what convinced Baze was Chirrut just walking out in the midst of all that blaster fire and doing what he needed to do yeah, that too. I just, yeah. I was like, that would have been so awesome. Yeah. I know a lot of people were hoping that he would move the thing with his mind. I kind of half thought like he, his staff, because it had that metal end on it. Mm -hmm. I was thinking, is he going to be like Terrace Anube and pull his lightsaber out of his walking stick? Um, and, uh, and of course we didn't get any of that. And I, and I am okay with that though, too. I'm okay with him 
I, you know, it would have been awesome to see him disappear. I agree with you, but I'm also okay with the fact that he didn't. I'm, mm-hmm. I'm a, yeah, I am too. I, because, because it lends to a lot of discussion about the spirituality of this movie and the spirituality of Chirrut and, and what he meant. He also had the one great line um, of, uh, are you kidding me? I'm blind. <laughs> And I love that. That was hilarious. That was so good. But I love, I loved his and Baze's relationship. I just, I love those two together. Um, I did too. You know, he has another scene, like when they first get put in the prison at um, Saw Guerrero's, whatever that is, where he says, you know, there are more than just one type of prison. And I sense you carry yours around with you. I was like, dang, dude. Yeah. Deep. Yeah. It's the, it's the wisdom that co- it's the wisdom that comes with life, you know, and uh, and and he definitely has that uh, along with him. So, uh, did you did you dig the movie overall? I did, and you know, so the first time I saw it was at a press screening, and I you remember because it was the day that we recorded Rebel Yell, mm-hmm. and I couldn't say anything, and I was on the edge of my seat like the whole time, and after the movie was over, I was not sitting near anybody, so I was talking to myself out loud, and I was like, is this better than The Force Awakens? And I was like, no, is it? <laughs> and so I was already like on that edge, and I was mm-hmm. like, oh my god, I'm so scared. What if it is? What if? Oh my gosh! And then I was like, you know who I would talk to you about this, Steve, but I can't. <laughs> I'm embargoed and don't want to ruin his experience with the film. I think I I just I think that it felt more even with everyone dying and you know the the darkness that's there I think it felt more like Star Wars classic um yes you know then and maybe that's intentional maybe Gareth Edwards had a leg up because he was touching episode four with this film you know maybe that's maybe maybe that's what it was and maybe if he did a sequel trilogy film it wouldn't have been I you know wouldn't have been as felt felt as much like home to me but um but for all, but I, think, I did enjoy this more than I enjoyed Force Awakens right out of the gate. Well, I think they're what they're setting up and I I don't think they're doing it intentionally, but I think fans are becoming beginning to notice that they're fans of certain eras of Star Wars and I think you are truly a classic trilogy fan at your heart and at your core because that's what it was right, when you that's what were I grew up with, yeah. you know yeah i'm a prequel trilogy kid at my core mm-hmm. you know so i like a lot of that stuff which i think is why i like so much of the older public stuff and i like clone wars and i like rebels and i like all of the stuff that was sort of leading up to the original stories mm-hmm. i love all of that but i also think that we're developing a new generation that is this new era of after um, the original trilogy and I think that's why I love that so much it has that feel I don't know there's something about the feel of it I would say The Force Awakens while it feels kind of like classic trilogy it feels more like prequel trilogy in the sense of not directly a Skywalker gritty yeah. in the middle of war story well it's definitely something you know? Yeah, it, the, the whole sequel trilogy is definitely something new in it's new territory and I you know and I think I think I'm a I think I'm a George Lucas Star Wars fan is what I am, mm-hmm. and and you know and and because I I think I kept coming away and I, and I was trying to explain to people for you know over a year now that my my contention has been I can just sense that Lucas is not in Star Wars anymore, and and I think the closer you get to a George Lucas 
style Star Wars. Because it, even with this film, like something as simple as the backgrounds being fleshed out as much as they were when you went onto a planet, you, you got the sense of that planet and you got the sense of that culture without it ever having to be spelled out for you. Um, mm -hmm. And it felt familiar and alien at the same time. Something that George Lucas was able to pull off in a forest, in a desert, and in the snow, you know, and uh, and in a swamp, and 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 here, and with and with J.J. Abrams, they just didn't quite pull it off as deftly as Lucas did. When when we got to a new planet, it's like, okay, so here's a planet with trees and stuff. What makes it alien? You know, nothing ever really felt alien and familiar at the same time. And Gareth Edwards and company figured out a way to do that. So, mm -hmm. um, so I, I think it just felt more more like a George Lucas joint to me. And I think that's what I really, really liked about it. Um, but, and again, as someone who loves the prequels too. So, uh, but again, I, but I like the force awakens. I don't want anyone to, and I love the characters of the force awakens. What brings me back to the force awakens is not the technical cinematography and the technicality of the storytelling. It's the characters. And, um, and that's, what's going to continue to keep me involved in these sequel trilogies to see where these characters go and, and well, everything. I think with The Force Awakens, we need to wait and see because we need right. to see what 8 and 9 are going to bring. And after 8 and 9 come out, I'm going to love going back to hear about all the things we said sure, <laughs> before, sure. before they came out because it's going to be a whole different ballgame once those come out. Mm -hmm. Just like this has now changed the beginning of A New Hope for me because now there's a sense of urgency and now it's like he knows you're lying. Like right. he's, he literally knows you're lying. It's not just you know, he has a hunch you're lying. He knows. He knows you're yeah. lying. Like and in that it's just it's going to change it for good for me, you know, in, in so many ways. Like I, it's just oh, a new hope will never be the same again. And I don't think that's anything <laughs> any of us would have ever said. No, no, it's 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 an amazing thing that you can look at even if it's just the first three or four minutes that you can look at it with a fresh perspective after 40 years of it being around, you know, mm -hmm. and but you, you know what else I'm looking forward to? I'm looking forward to some of the gaps being filled with Saw Gerrera because I need to know what in the world is going on with this guy. <laughs> so thank you rebels. Yeah. He's seriously, I, he's I, someone had asked me yesterday or I think it was Shaz saying, did you see that poster that, someone put up and I'm like, what poster? He's like, it has Saul Guerrero on a Rebels poster. I'm like, is it real? He's like, I don't know. I hadn't really dug into it. And then you told me today he was coming and then I saw the article from E, uh, EW about, um, about Saul Guerrero coming to Rebels on January 7th, no less. Like, mm -hmm. you know, really well timed. So yeah, it's going to be interesting to see him uh, interact with the Rebels crew and see where he's at, you know, just a couple of years before the moment where we meet up with him in Rogue One. Yeah, you know, and what's interesting is he's being voiced by Forrest Whitaker, which I think is great. Mm -hmm. Although I was kind of sad because I had hoped Andrew Kishino would get to voice him again. I thought that would be really neat, but it's okay. Like, at least it's going to be, they wanted it to tie to the film, and I get it, so it's all good. Like, I need to know how he gets two Darth Maul legs. That's very important to me. Well, Filoni said that we're not going to get bogged down in that stuff. Yeah, but I still want to know. He says this is more about the philosophy of the character than the physical stuff of the character. Yeah, but I still want to know. I understand. <laughs> I just imagine they got blown off. Um, <laughs> here's my question. If if this is... How old is Jen? Jen was born... Was she born before... She was born before the end of the Clone Wars. Correct. So she's in her early 20s. 
Yes. Is it safe to say she's 20, this, 22 maybe? I'd say 20 to 22, somewhere yeah. around there. A little bit older, a little bit older than Luke and Leia. Um, she oh, it's in the visual guide, so she's twenty-two. Okay, okay, cool. Got it. She was, um, so she was left behind at something when she was sixteen, apparently, by Saul Guerrero. So six years prior, so that, so she won't be. We won't see her in Rebels then. No, she won't be there with Saul. That's unfortunate. I think we that'd might be a hear cool her surprise. mentioned. I would hope so. I would hope so. I, I just. Uh, Man, I, I'm okay with Rebels uh, taking us to the moment when they're in that battle over Scarif at mm-hmm. some point down the road. You know, like, I just, just to know that they were there, it's like, I got to know what was going on and who was actually on the ghost with Hera. Yeah, well, Filoni said that he has a whole idea of being able to tell the story from Rogue One from the Rebels character's point of view. Like, he has this whole idea of how that would go. Oh. He said it in the in the Entertainment Weekly article about all of the Easter eggs and Re- of the Rebels Easter eggs yeah. in the movie. Well, I want to throw this out to you. I was talking to Shaz, and I don't know if we said this on on the recording or not. So if it, if I did, ladies and gentlemen, it'll be uh, repeated. Uh, we know that Darth Maul's headed after Kino- after Obi Wan, uh, and he's headed to Tatooine. He knows because he said the place where it began should be the place where it ends. Um, we have to assume that Kanan and Ezra are going to figure out that he's headed to Tatooine. Um, I don't want to see Luke necessarily in Rebels be referred to as Luke. I don't want to see any conversations between Ezra and Luke, Kanan and Luke, or anything no, like that. No, no, no. What I, what I would like to see, though, is the ghost parked on the outskirts of Mos Eisley and Hera saying, we need some power converters. I think there's a place called Tashi Station where you can go pick some up. Yes. <laughs> and as Ezra and Chopper are walking out of Tashi Station with said power converters, Ezra bumps into a young farm boy and says, oh, excuse me. And the kid says, no problem. And as, as Ezra's walking out, you hear someone say, hey, Wormy, get over here. Where they oh, just kind of fantastic. bump into each other, you know. So, um, but anyhow... <laughs> Well, uh, how's the Christmas shopping going? I'm sitting in a chair. Okay. Just uh, talking to you, yeah. and I will continue it afterwards. Okay. <laughs> um, well, well, I'm about to close it, shut her down here. I know we'll talk more and more about this as time goes on, but I wanted to get you on this because I kind of billboarded at the beginning. Um, but now, did you know Did you know what I bought myself as a housewarming present months ago for my new day? Death Star, Death Star Tree Topper? No, I wish I did. Oh. I missed out on that. No, uh, months ago, this was months ago, I bought myself uh, from the Lego shop. Uh, oh, yes, I did. The Ewok Village. Yeah, you Lego, uh, you Ewok told Village. me, but I forgot, yeah. but I remember. Well, I'm going to hopefully be putting that together soon. So, so Ooh, come, that's amazing. So you guys, you guys should come play. So. Okay. <laughs> Don't have to ask me twice. There you go. All right, Teresa. Well, hey, Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. Uh, and I know you mentioned it at the front of the show, but if anybody's listening and you want to join our Facebook group, feel free to go to geekoutonline.com slash groups. Um, but we do have some rules, um, so make sure you read the guideline post at the top and comment below that you read it. Otherwise, I'm going to kick you out. Just kidding. Oh, I'm wow. not going to kick you out, but please just make sure that you adhere to those guidelines because if you don't, 
then you won't be in the group anymore. Mm-hmm. And for those of you listening live at Mixer.com slash Gullivers, tune in later as we talk about Chicken Little on Disney Vault Talk. Yes, we will. So. Hooray! All right, Teresa, have fun shopping. All right, bye. See you later, bye. And that is uh, Teresa Delgado from Disney Vault Talk, the lovely, the talented, the powerful Teresa Delgado. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for joining us on Geek Out Loud, a special episode of Geek Out Loud this afternoon. And we will uh, be back with more Gulliver stuff all week long. You can expect big honking shows during the day. You can expect Gulliver shows in the evening. We've got another Geek Out Loud coming past the corn for December's coming with Erish and a special guest that I'm really looking forward to talking to as we talk the movies of December and uh, and get into things. So uh, stick around and join us and, and watch the Twitter. Don't forget that t- what Twitter to watch, you say? Well, watch at Goliverse on the Twitter. Follow and, and watch at Goliverse. Also, uh, you can follow Geek Out Loud at Geek Out Loud on Twitter, as well as me. I'm at Steve Glosson. If you want to email us, it's geekoutonline at gmail.com. Geekoutonline at gmail.com. That Facebook group, geekoutonline.com slash group, will take you right to it. Uh, join up, uh, read the guidelines, and those things may be ever-changing here and there with some, with a few things. You know how we act in the Goliverse. Just act that way. That's all we ask. Um... We do have a Geek Out Loud page on Facebook, facebook.com slash geekoutloud. And don't forget to use those Amazon, ThinkGeek, and Entertainment Earth links, as well as, if you want to support the shows directly, patreon.com slash geekoutloud. We thank you all so much for your support. Thank you for putting up with us for a couple hours here on Geek Out Loud. Hope you've enjoyed it. I've loved getting to talk Star Wars. Man, I haven't listened to anyone else's reactions because I haven't wanted to be tainted by it. So now I got a lot of podcasts to go listen to, but I got to watch Chicken Little. Coming up on Disney Vault Talk, Chicken Little. Coming up on Mark Out Loud, our 2016 Santa Slam. Coming up on Geek Out Loud, as we said, Pass the Corn. I got to get in touch with Chris and let's get a Rock Out Loud out there. All kinds of good stuff coming. Watch for football fans, watch for Mile High Tundra coming very soon. Uh, new episode. And, uh, man, it's just going to be a busy, fun week. Christmas Eve, if you're going to be around on Christmas Eve doing nothing but hanging with the family that day, we're going to do a special Big Honkin' show on Christmas Eve because I'm going to be uh, away from um, from home with the family. So uh, we will um, we'll have something going on that day. All right, everybody. Have a great one. We'll see you next time. On Geek Out Loud. Someday, when you are older, you could get hit by a boulder. While you're lying there, screaming, come help me, please, the seagulls. Both your knees. Stop it now.